Good morning again. <laughs> I invite you to turn with me to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 come at a transition point in the letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome. It comes at a place between Paul explaining the good news of the gospel and the application of that knowledge. We find ourselves at a transition point as well as we are transitioning into the new year. Uh, We made it through 2021, and we are beginning the new year with 2022. As we begin the new year, what's on a lot of people's minds is New Year's resolutions. People aim to live healthier, lose weight, manage manage their finances better, or maybe they set career goals. The list goes on and on of what people might set for a New Year's resolution. Generally, people either want to start doing something or stop doing something. Now, making a New Year's resolution isn't a bad thing, but we have to realize that making a resolution, um, that when we make a resolution, it will have no value or no power uh, if we don't have proper motivation behind it. If you're like me in the past, I've made New Year's resolutions, and maybe the first or second weekend of January, I messed up, right? Maybe it was no soda for a year. And, well, I didn't think about it. I was at Bojangles, and I got a Dr. Pepper, right? I messed up. When I messed up, what did I do? Did I recommit and say, I'll do better next time? Like, I'll keep trying this year? If you're like me, you might have said, no, I'll just do better next year, right? You'll wait a whole entire year, right, once you mess up. And that's because my motivation wasn't correct, right? As Christians, we may have different resolutions. We might resolve to uh, read the Bible more attend church more regularly, or, pay, or pray more often. These are also not bad goals to set. They're great goals to have. But just like non-spiritual resolutions, if the motivation isn't correct, uh, we, those can fail as well. So when it comes to making these resolutions, we have to ask, what is our motivation? Why do you want to lose weight? Is it so you can honor God with your physical body? Or is it so you can feel better and look better in front of other people? Why do you want to manage your money better? Is it to honor God with a giving life? Or is it so you have more money in your bank account so you can get the things that you want? Why do you want to read the Bible daily? Is it to honor God and grow spiritually and grow to be more like Him? Or is it just because you're supposed to do that? That's what you've heard. Or you want to look good in front of your other Christian friends, right? What's the point? What's the motivation? Today, as we look at these verses in Romans, I want us to see that the way we live our life should be motivated by God's mercy above all else. Today we will talk about what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. Join me at the start of Romans 12. Paul wrote, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Uh, dear Lord, as we come to you, uh, study your word, I pray that you will just help us to have an open heart and just an open mind. Uh, I pray that you will just shine a light on your word and show us things that we need to apply to our own lives. I pray that we would be open to change and that we would be bold enough to actually live those things out um, with your love and your mercy as our motivation. I pray that you help us as we read your word to not be distracted by other things. Um, let's focus on your word right now. And... We can care about the other things later on. 
I pray, Lord, that as we go through your word, you would just help us to find something we can apply to our lives this week and something that we can share with others potentially. I pray that when we have the opportunity, we would have the boldness to take those opportunities to share with others. I pray all these things in Christ's name. So as we start in Romans 12, I want to point out some key words as we walk through it. The first key word is appeal. Paul begins this section of his letter with an appeal. He says, I appeal to you. Paul is asking, that's what an appeal is, asking or urging the Christians in Rome to listen to what he is saying and to do something in response. Paul was appealing or calling the Roman believers to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he is trying to convince them to give their lives fully to God. As we read this, we realize that God's also calling us to give our lives fully to God. So the first question, since we're talking about motivation, is why? What should be our motivation? Why should we do this? Why do we have to give our lives fully to God? And Paul answers that in the response, or should I say in his request. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Therefore, it's the second key word. Now, I'm a math teacher, not an English major. But I've always been told you have to ask, why is the therefore, therefore? This therefore is there in light of the previous 11 chapters. We're in chapter 12 of Romans. The therefore is there talking about the previous 11 chapters. In these chapters, Paul describes the gospel. What is the good news? Who is it for? How can we be saved? If we were to break those first 11 chapters into two sections, uh, we would have one section we could call righteousness defied, where we see that humans defied God, defied his righteousness. Uh, These are chapters 1 through the middle of chapter 3. The second section we could call righteousness supplied, where we failed God provided God supplied righteousness, and that was in the form of Jesus. Uh, These are chapters 3 through 11. The remaining chapters of the book we could call righteousness applied, and that's where we find ourselves today. Let's look at each of these sections to explore why the therefore is there. The first section, righteousness defied. In chapters 1 through 3, we see that we as humans are all sinful. Um, Paul makes a distinction between telling uh, the Roman church that uh, the Jews as a people are sinful people. The Gentiles or non-Jews are a sinful people, which leads us to the conclusion that all people are sinful. We all disobey God. uh, We all sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We disobey God, and that's the problem. Uh, This leads to an eternal separation from God so that we as sinful humans are separated from Him with no way to get back in a good relationship with Him on our own efforts. Uh, We are dead in our sins, and all hope seems lost. But there's an important part. There's an important part to Romans 3.23, the following verses that a lot of people leave out. I'm going to read those following verses for you. Starting with Romans 3.23, we're going to continue into 24 and 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So the bad news is that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. But the good news is we all have an opportunity uh, to be right with God, to be justified through Christ, uh, if we have faith in Jesus. Um, 
Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, taking the place for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. This proved that he had the power over sin and death that he claimed he had. And if we trust in him, we put our faith in him, we can have eternal life with God the Father in heaven. Righteousness was supplied. We didn't supply it, but God did through Jesus. Righteousness was supplied. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That brings us to the second section of Romans, righteousness supplied. In chapters 3 through 11, Paul explains that we are allowed a relationship with God because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And we are saved through our faith in Jesus. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. That's Romans, 9, uh, Romans 10, 9-10. As we walk through this next section, chapters 3 through 11, um, I'm going to point out some of God's mercy that he's shown us. As a note, mercy means receiving means not receiving the punishment that we deserve or not receiving something bad that we might deserve. And so the first thing we see in Romans 5, 9, we discover that through Christ we are freed from the wrath that we deserve. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We see we are also freed from sin, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. We are freed from death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set, your, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, Romans 8.2. We also see that God chose to save us. He didn't have to. There's nothing making him save us, us rebellious people. Um, sinful, undeserving people that are disobedient to him. Um, he chose to save us, though. This is Romans 9:15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So in these four small examples from the full section of 3 through 11, uh, we see there's a lot of good news. There's a lot of mercy that God has shown us. We're freed from the wrath we deserve. We're freed from sin. We're freed from death. And we're saved because God chose to save us. He didn't have to. We are sinners, but God loved us and gave his only son uh, to come to earth and live a perfect life. He died taking the punishment, the wrath that we deserve. And if we trust in him by putting our faith in Christ, we can be saved and live eternally with God. But that leaves one more question. What now? So we have the bad news. We're all sinful. We have the good news. Through faith in Jesus, we can be saved. But what after we're saved, right? This is where we're at now. Righteousness applied. This is the final section. This section talks of what we should do to live out our faith. Now that we have a pretty good understanding of why the therefore is there, let's go back and look at the verses again. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He could have also said, I appeal to you because of the first 11 chapters, right, because of all this good news I just gave you, all these mercies I've listed for you. And he actually sums it up by saying that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, why? By the mercies of God. So he actually kind of does sum up his first 11 chapters uh, right there in 12.1. So Paul is appealing to us. He's urging us. He's asking us. And he's saying, why should we do this? What's our motivation? It's because of all the mercy that God has shown us us sinful, undeserving people. He's saying, because you are sinful and undeserving, God loved you anyways. Um, 
you should do this, what I'm about to tell you to do. That's what he's saying. Uh, the claim that he wants us to do is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Earlier we talked about the importance of proper motivation. And so Paul is giving us proper motivation for the change that he wants to happen. He's telling us that the motivation for us should be God's mercy and that alone. We've all fallen short of, glory, of the glory of God, and that's the bad news. But the good news is that God loves us, and he sent Jesus so we can have a relationship with him. God has shown us a lot of mercy. Let's look at the next section. What is Paul calling us to do? He wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Now, when I first read that, that sounds kind of contradictory. A living sacrifice, right? If you look at the definition of those words, a sacrifice means um, to sacrifice means to slaughter an animal or a person in an offering to a God or to give up possessions such as grain or oil. So that's part of it, right? That's part of the living sacrifice, to slaughter, to kill. Um, we're talking about ourselves, so to kill a person, okay? Um, we're sacrificing ourselves. That's kind of interesting. But also it says living. Living means to be alive, okay? So we're a living sacrifice. That sounds kind of contradictory. I believe what Paul is saying is that we have to die to ourselves. We have to sacrifice the things that we may want to do so that we can live for God, we can live for Christ. In Luke 9.23, Jesus describes it this way. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus was telling us that if we plan to follow him, uh, there's going to be sacrifices we have to make. And they're daily sacrifices. Take up your cross daily. Jesus was using sacrificial wording, and so was Paul in this text. He says at the end here, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's sacrificial terminology there. If you look at the Levitical law, sacrifices had to be holy or set apart, and that made them acceptable to God. Paul is telling us we have to live in the same way. We have to live set apart. We have to sacrifice the things that we want to do so that we can be the person God wants us to be. Verse 2, Romans 12, 2, it goes a little further and explains to us how can we be a living sacrifice. I'll read that for us now. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If we're going to live, if we're going to be living sacrifices, Paul points out two things we must do. He tells us we cannot be conformed to this world, and he tells us we have to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. To better understand that first point, to not be conformed to the world, we need to know what the word means, conform, conformed. I almost said confirmed. Conformed means to comply with rules or standards. On a personal level, it means to act in a way or behave in a way that is according to socially acceptable standards. So to be like those around us, we're, we are conforming if we do that. I'm going to read a case study about conformity just to show uh, how likely it is that we conform with those around us. A few years ago, a psychologist named Ruth Perinda and her associates carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed to show how a person handled group pressure or peer pressure. The plan was simple. They brought groups of 10 adolescents into a room for a test. Each group of 10 was instructed to raise their hand whenever the instructor or the teacher pointed to the chart, there's three charts going to be put up, of the longest line. So three lines beside each other, One's the longest, 
and the other two are shorter in some way. When the teacher points to the longest line, they would raise their hand. Well, what one person in the group didn't know is that they were the only ones that were going to do that. The other nine people were instructed to point at the second longest line. Okay, So everybody is supposed to point at the longest line, um, but nine of them are going to point purposefully at the shorter line, the second line. Okay, And one person doesn't know that. They're still pointing at the longest line. As the experiment began with the nine teenagers voting for the wrong line, the one who doesn't know would typically look around, frown in confusion, and then slip their hand up with the rest of the group. Time after time, the self-conscious one would sit there saying a short line was longer than a long line simply because they lacked the courage to stand up against the group. This remarkable conformity occurred in 75% of cases and was also true of small children and high school students, so young children all the way up to high school students. We can conclude that some people, or most people, would rather be in with the pattern of response than to be right. How many times in our own lives we had opportunities to stand up for what's right, but we just kind of blend in with the crowd. We take a step back. If we're going to be living sacrifices, we can't conform to the world around us. We can't do that. We can't just be conformed, and we can't, I don't know a good way to say this, we can't point at the short line and call it the longest. That's a simple way to say that, right? Um, we can't just be in with the in with the crowd. Okay, We have to stand for what's right. Another question that comes to mind when talking about conformity is why not? Why shouldn't we be conformed to the world? That's what it says. Do not be conformed to the world. It's not just about conformity, but it's about what we're being conformed to. So let's look at a few verses about why we shouldn't be conformed to the world. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ Jesus, which is the image of God. To start with, the little g God of this world, the devil. Sorry. To start with, the little g God of this world is the devil, and he has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from knowing the gospel. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be part of a realm that was under the devil's rule. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we are told not to love the world or the things in the world. If we love these things, God's love isn't in us. 1 John 2.17 It says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world and the things of the world are temporary. They won't last forever. Lastly, John fifteen nineteen. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates those Christ has redeemed or chosen. So to put it all together, while we shouldn't be conformed to the world, it's ruled by the little g-god, Satan. It is temporary, not eternal. If we love the world and the things in the world, the love of God is not in us. And lastly, since we have been chosen from the world, um, the, sorry, since we've been chosen from the world and called to live like Christ, the world hates us. These sound like some good reasons for me not to be one with the world or not be conformed with the world. The second part of the voice, verse, the second point says, but 
be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So Paul is telling us, don't do this, but do this instead. And so what we're called to do is be transformed instead of conformed, and we're supposed to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If we're going to be living sacrifices, we must not be conformed or united with the world, and instead we must be transformed by the renewal of our mind. The word transformed is translated from the Greek word metamorphosi. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but that's the way I, I think it's supposed to be said, I guess. Metamorphosi, this is where we get words like metamorphosis. Okay? When a frog goes through metamorphosis, it starts as a tadpole and then transforms to arrive at its final state as a frog. In the same way, when we are transformed, it is a total transformation. As a Christian, we should constantly be transformed or being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. I wanted to share with you guys a story from my own life of me being transformed um, or, you know, slowly being transformed to be more like Jesus. When I was first saved, I freely gave Christ the spot of Savior in my life. Um, I realized that I was a broken person, a sinful person with no point in life other other than to live and die. And so I freely gave Jesus the spot of Savior in my life. But I had a very shallow relationship with him, and I did not acknowledge him as Lord. He was Lord. I didn't make him Lord or not make him Lord. He was Lord of my life, but I didn't make him. I didn't acknowledge him as Lord of my life. So that means when it came to decision-making, he wasn't in it. Um, yeah, in every matter, he didn't have a say in every decision I made. He didn't have a say in it necessarily. Um, I held back things in my life that I knew were wrong, but I told myself they weren't, quote-unquote, that bad. Like I said before, I had a shallow relationship, and I wasn't giving God 100%. This changed in the summer of 2013. Uh, God was convicting me to turn my life over to him, all of it, uh, 100%. At the beginning of the summer, my pastor at the time had preached a message, and it involved the story of the rich young ruler. I wasn't phased, phased by the teaching, or at least I didn't show any change in my behavior. About a month later, that same summer, I was on a mission trip to Tennessee, and the leader, our team leader, he led a, a lunch devotional. And you guys guessed it. Uh, it was the rich young ruler again. Okay. This time, it started to, to kind of make me think, is this holding something back? Is that compared to the riches that the rich young ruler wouldn't give up to follow Jesus? Are these the same thing? And there might have been some guilt with the, with the behavior, but I, I, didn't, I didn't give it over to God. Finally, I was at Somersault. It's a youth camp they're doing in South Carolina. And I was actually not a, not a student going to the camp. I was actually a chaperone. I was actually, like, yeah, helping watch the youth. And um, the final night, of the camp pastor preached a message. And you guessed it. It's the rich young ruler. Again, three times in one summer, I was preached the same story. It kept getting brought up to me over and over again. And God was convicting me. The one area of my life that I held on to was being compared to the ruler's riches. How easily I would have said to myself, I can sell all I have. I can sell all my stuff, truck, car, whatever, clothes, all that kind of stuff. And I would follow Jesus, right? Like, my possessions, no big deal. But that wasn't the point. It wasn't about selling everything. Jesus saw through to the heart of the matter. That was the one thing that man was not going to give up to follow God. And I had that one thing in my life that I was holding back. Three times the same story was taught to me in one summer, and that convinced me 
to give my life fully to God. This is just an example of how, as a Christian, we might walk through and be slowly being transformed more to the image of Christ. Because at the beginning of the story, I was not as close to God as I was at the end of it. Back to the passage, another question might arise about this transformation. How does this transformation take place? It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. So Paul is saying that this change, this transformation is going to start in your mind, and that will lead to a behavioral change. Paul tells us that this change starts with the mind, it leads to behavioral change, um, and we need to renew our mind. Some versions might say to refresh our minds. And I want to give you guys some ways that we could do that. The first way we can renew our mind or refresh our mind is to pray or talk with God to read his word. If I told you that I had a relationship with my wife, but I never talked to her, um, would that be much of a relationship? I started to say that would be a one-sided relationship if she was talking to me, but I'm not talking back. But I don't think that's really much of a relationship. In the same way, if we're not talking with God, if we're not praying, communicating with Him, reading His Word, how are we in a relationship with Him, right? And so, if we want to renew our minds, we should communicate with God by reading His Word, by praying. A second way we can renew our minds is by memorizing God's Word. Um, this helps us combat temptation when it begins to creep in. Jesus shows us this example when he was tempted in the wilderness. He quotes scripture three times to combat Satan. Because Jesus knew God's word, he was able to see when Satan was taking it out of context. Another thing with memorizing, this is something that's been convicting recently. Uh, we did like a little lesson on a Wednesday night about scripture. And one of the things that the guy talked about in the video was he was just asking how much scripture you have memorized. Do you know one verse? Do you know three verses? Do you know ten verses? Um, convicted me when he got to ten verses, three verses even. I kind of area, right? Like, do I really know this word for word? Now, memorizing scripture isn't going to, like, make God love you, right? That's not the point. We're saved through faith in Christ alone. But when it comes to situations when we don't have the Bible, would not it be great to have um, scripture memorized in our hearts so we can be ready? And so memorizing scripture can renew our mind, refresh our mind, and that gets to our final point. We should shift our focus from ourselves to God. We should remember that God is our motivation when making decisions and not ourselves. Every morning when I wake up, I try to do this. I'm not going to say I do it every morning, but I try to. And that's just pray to God when you wake up. You can thank him for you know being awake, being alive, right? The gift he's given us of life and breath. Um, but also just asking him to shift my focus from myself to him. Every morning when we wake up, we wake up in the center of our own life, right? I gotta brush my teeth, I gotta take a shower, I gotta get breakfast, I gotta do this, that, the other, I gotta go to work, right? But if I try to start before, like catch myself before the rush starts, right? Before the day begins, and just say, help me focus on you today, right? That's gonna help us renew our mind, refresh our mind. So this is good for me to be less selfish with my actions, less selfish with my time, and think about it as being more for God. As we wrap up, we can see in verses 1 and 2 that God wants our bodies and our minds. In verse 1 it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, these are your physical bodies, salvation is not only an issue of spiritual things, but also physical, he wants our bodies and our actions 
But how do we do that? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so we can see that from verses 1 and 2 that God wants our bodies, physical bodies, our actions, and he wants our thoughts, he wants our minds. To sum it up, he wants all of us, 100%. God is calling us to be living sacrifices and fully submit our lives to him. As we move into the new year, I pray that our motivation for change would be God's love and the mercy that he has shown us. I'm going to pray, then we'll be, I guess the Lord will we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time you've allowed us to come and to study your word. I pray that as we go out this week that you would, you would just remind us that you are our motivation. Remind us of all the mercies that you've shown us, the love that you've shown us, um, through all that you've done for us, all you provide for us. I pray that as we go out this week, um, you just help us to uh, be a living sacrifice, to deny ourselves and live for you. I pray that you would just help us to see things in our life, areas of our life that we're not giving over to you, and help us to commit those to you. I pray that we'll be bold in the new year, and we'll find opportunities, and you'll give us the courage to actually share with people about what you've done for us. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.